All right, everybody. So today, back on the podcast, we have Pete Rubish. How you doing, man? Pretty good, man. It's been like uh, I looked back, and our last talk was in May of 2021, so over a year and a half. Okay, I was going to say, I think it's been close to two years. And like I, I mentioned this to other people, too. You, you kind of lose track because sometimes you, you talk on Instagram and you chat and you kind of forget how long it's actually been. But yeah, it's been a while. I know. I can't believe it. What's been new with you? What's been going on? Oh, man. Lots been new with me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I got like practice stuff, family stuff. I got just personal stuff. It's, uh, it's a lot of coaching stuff. So I'm always going. It feels like I, I'm looking to cut back work but it's funny because it's like you cut back work in one area and then it just kind of fills in with other stuff which is good you know it's a good problem to have but it's definitely been busy do you still have the dental practice going oh yeah yeah i mean that's the primary thing so I, i'm there and you know it's you're seeing patients a certain amount of time but then there's so much that goes into owning the business that i mean obviously as you know with the gym that there's just so many things that if you never had a business you just wouldn't really know or think about and just the number of calls you have and everything. I mean, again, I'm I'm very blessed to be in the position I am, but it's it's certainly a lot of work. So you're doing wait, you're doing that and you're doing like coaching and stuff as well? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I coach. I got the podcast. I got got a lot of wheels turning for sure. It's good to stay busy, but how old are you right now? Thirty one. I think we're about okay, to well, see so right? thirty one. <laughs> yeah. When's your birthday? June thirteenth. Okay, so you're about two months older than me. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, man. So what you have the, I mean, you, you coach and you have the gym, right? Yeah, it's busy days similar to you, but um, I wake up like 4.30 every weekday, mm -hmm. get to the gym, open the gym up. We've got group classes, which I kind of help with with my wife, uh, personal training clients one-on-one, -on -one, and then I've got a lot of online coaching clients as well. So I've mainly been doing that for the last 10 years. Yeah, I figured you probably have in person at your gym and then you also do some online stuff. So, and I was, you know, at times I've dabbled harder with YouTube, but the, the algorithm and everything, it's gotten tougher. Where even lately, I've been talking to uh, Steve a lot and you just, the views aren't coming in as much this year. Um, but the algorithm changes and Which I Steve? think they cut the pay too. Bigger Steve. Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. YouTube, man, it's, it's so tough. The people who I, I would never want to be full time like YouTube or anything, but I, I also respect the people that can make it work because it's just constant. Like it's so unstable. I mean, your entire livelihood is dependent on this website that could change the algorithm tomorrow and then you're screwed. It's obviously, you know, a lot of it is age and entertainment based and how you look. And it's like, like you're just so easily taken over within a couple of years. I always say, you know, if you look, of who was popular 10 years ago, who's still popular now. You've got a couple of people for sure, but not, not that many. And then how many people now are still going to be popular in 10 years? I mean, it's whereas like in most careers you gain, you get the experience and you solidify your position, you know, and, and people respect it more versus soon in the industry, you're like the old guy with, with social media. So it's very tough. Well, I think too, it's like, it's hard to come up with that much content consistently. Yeah. I don't know. I and you I've seen you talk about it where you're like, I don't have you know, I, I only have enough things to say for a certain amount of videos. I mm -hmm. can't just keep popping videos out every day. And I think if you go that route, you just have to comment on like, you know, relevant social social media content. But it just gets old. It feels uh I don't know, it feels like selling out when you yeah. just start commenting on like, okay, well, this person did this and this is what I think of it. Yep. 
Yeah, no, reaction content is honestly one of the biggest things. Like, and you're right, that's exactly what I said. It's like, okay, maybe I have 50, maybe it's 100 videos of like just topics. But after that, it's like, what do you want me to talk about? It's just going to be reactionary. And even, I mean, this isn't just for fitness too. It's for a lot of different content. It's actually one of the biggest things on YouTube is just person reacts to this, gets more views to the channel, and then it just goes from there. Well, it's, it's, it's the same way with lifting, too. I'm like, there's only so many things I could talk about. It's not that complicated, like right. how to train optimally. I can't just I feel like I'd be making stuff up at that point where it's like, OK, this exercise is amazing. And, you know, you need to do that. And it's just it's like it's not that ca- you know, that's not the case. Yeah, there's a few exercises I do that really work. I stick to those. And um, I don't know, it just gets I don't know, it gets too watered down. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I mean, any job, if you look at it as it, like, I don't do it like that because this is entertainment. This is fun for me. You know, there's work involved, of course. But if you look at the people who have successful channels and, and it becomes a job, in one sense, as a viewer, I'm like, okay, you've made this video 10 times. But if I look at it, it's like, oh, this is your career. Well, then it makes sense. Right? Like any career, you you tell your clients the same things day in and day out, right? I tell my patients the same things. I do the same procedures day in and day out. In these people's case, you know, Omar Yusuf has made 15 videos on how to grow your back, right? And it's just like, well, that's because this is his career. And so if you're a viewer, it's like, well, I don't need to see this video again. But that's why there's a lot of viewership changes. I mean, this is why you can see people with hundreds of thousands of subscribers. But in reality, maybe only 50,000 of them are still watching because over time, they just kind of stop watching, but they don't go and bother unsubscribing and things like that. That's what's happened to me because I have a high number, but the actual active viewership is very low compared to that. Because mm. there's like a three year period where I didn't do anything with the channel, and I think that really hurt me. Yeah, but it's, it's the same way. Yeah. Well, now it's time for you to start doing natty or not videos, man. That's the key. I, I would piss so many people off that I'm just like, I can't do it. And yeah. those are so <laughs> overplayed, obviously. But I, I think I'd be good at them. I think I could really give a good opinion. But I'm I don't like making everyone angry, so. Sure. I, I don't want to create a bunch of enemies, but right. I think obviously I have the credentials where I could have pretty good insight on like, because to me, honestly, the biggest thing with is a certain look to the physique that to me, seeing the changes to my physique, I know how I used to look and now how I look. And it's just mm-hmm. like, there's a, there's certain things that stand out, you know? Yeah, I always say you can't tell when somebody is definitely not on steroids because obviously plenty of people who are on stuff just don't look that impressive. But you can often tell when somebody definitely is, right? Like obviously like an IFBB pro level, there's a certain size where of course this person just can't get, nobody could get to this size. Um, But then also there is, I believe that there is a certain look in some cases where there was a guy I just saw at the gym the other day and it was just, you know, without getting out the details, like the certain characteristics, I was like, I've, I've never seen a natural guy who I knew was natural look like this. Um, but but again, I, I wouldn't say I'm 100% confident. It's just like, yeah, when I look at you, it's probably very likely that you're enhanced. But um, but obviously, size being the biggest thing where you can clearly tell, okay, if you're 250 lean, you're, you're almost certainly not natural, right? It's the look with okay more or less with someone's shirt off that's when you're going to be able to tell because a natural lifter can look really big in a shirt you can still look big like wow that guy's on steroids but it's when you know someone's shirt were to come off that's when you're going to be able to tell it's the it's the shape of the muscles it's the the leanness the uh, vascularity those are things that are not going to be there off steroids that they would be on you know it's that's what's changed with me like my physique is much softer there's not the shape there's not the cuts 
all that is gone. It's just, it's not, that's what always stands out to me where I'm like, okay, that person is, is doing something. And how much do you weigh now? See, that's the thing, 235. I'm not that much lighter, but my physique looks way different. Like, it's sure. not even close. Um, I'm, I'm still semi-lean, but it's not like... If you just looked, if you took a before picture and after, it looks completely different as far as the muscle. Mm. Um, so and that, to me, is what I look before? in the mirror. What is it? What was the heaviest you got to before? Heaviest, 262. Okay. And but how typically, was your leanness at 262 on stuff compared to your current leanness at 235? Uh, at that way, probably the same. Okay. So, I mean, that's 25 pounds of muscle you've lost, right? So, 27. It's but... just the look, though. Like, it's it's a different, it's an entirely different look. There's not, and I've seen it with nat with bigger natural guys who I'm around. Um, they don't have that shape and they don't have the cuts. They don't have the, the vascularity. Those are the things that stand out to me where I'm like, Telltale sign of someone natural compared to not, or drug-free, however you yeah. want to call it. Because I would consider myself drug-free, not natural. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, there's a, that's an important caveat. Because right. I don't want to say, like, oh, I'm I'm natural when there's people who are lifetime natural. It's like, I've been drug-free for 26 months. Yeah. So that's the differentiator. I was going to ask, so it's 26 months now. Now, you were you kind of tapering off? Because I forget from our last talk if you had just kind of completely cut everything out, or if it was like a gradual process over the years. I think, I mean, I tapered it down as the years went on those last couple because I, I saw that the Dallas McCarver death was the main thing mm -hmm. that kind of hit me. Um, and then obviously there, there's been a few more, but so I, I stopped going as quite as hard, but then 26 months ago was when everything was cut out. So that's like the official time frame, um, for being off. Everything. And now, are you back to actually, you know what? Um, do you want, so I, I know you sent me the blood work. I have not fully reviewed it do you want to do that live or we yeah we could do that okay so let me pull it up here how often do you get blood work done so i've had blood work done regularly since i was like 18 um i'm just a very like i literally have 50 plus pages of blood work i'm a very curious person so i just need to test things and just make sure everything's in line and i'm actually looking at we can discuss this too but my uh similar to you, like my LDL is right around where yours is. So I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, all right, well, the evidence is pretty clear that that's, it's not great for that to be elevated really even at all. So um, I'm considering doing something that now, are you on any medications for hyperlipidemia? No, I, I've dabbled with them before, obviously, azetamide, and then uh, resuvastatin, but which is Crestor. Mm. But I just, I wanted to see if that was impacting my testosterone levels at all. So I pulled the plug on those like probably four or five months ago and okay. uh, didn't really change the testosterone numbers at all. So I don't know. Um, Why did you suspect that it would affect your testosterone? Well, it's the whole it's the whole uh, conversation around statins and what do they call it? Uh, myo myopathy, my myopathy, myopathy. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, so the whole myopathy thing, like I was kind of concerned about, I'd heard statins could lower uh, lower test natural testosterone levels. So I feel like it would be less of a thing if I was exogenously adding something in like TRT. But yeah. I was concerned that was that was the, one of the causes of my low testosterone levels because they haven't rebounded very well. So I was concerned that was probably a part of it, which at this point I would say not really because it, it's just, it fluctuates back and forth, but it hasn't budged that high. Yeah. Um, 
But that was just a concern. And I was only taking resuvastatin uh, once or twice a week because even that, you know, you find you lower your LDL. Yeah. So do you want me to do like a screen share? I don't know how much of this you do or don't want me to, to show on here. So Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing is just my address at the very bottom of the last page. But other than that, we're good. So, you know, it looks like you had a lot of stuff done here, metabolic panel, lipid, uh, thyroid panel, testosterone. So we'll go into all of that. So, but for people listening, I think it's relevant just so you can have an idea of, you know, what is normal, what's not. I think probably most people should get some blood work. I know some doctors who say, uh, some people online who say, you know, why are you going to get blood work done unless it's going to change anything? Well, it's like, for one, it might change something. I mean, like, why would you not have it like a basic lipid panel done or a CBC done? It just doesn't really make sense. Um, I think testosterone is one where you could make an argument to not have it done because if you feel good, then why bother? Like, unless you think you're actually going to go on TRT or something, which if you feel good, you, you probably don't need to. Um, I think that's a reasonable take on it. Again, I, I would, I personally just like to know things, so I would want to get things checked, but, um, I, I you know, that, that's, yeah, that's up to the person and it depends on where you live too. Like I actually have like little uh i guess affiliate link with let's get checked are you familiar with them yes and, and they're you know pretty easy to use and I, i've used them before but you know you can also just go to your doctor it just depends on what's easier for the person so uh so we'll start with so you had an nmr lipo profile which for people listening that's different than just a basic lipid panel so a basic lipid panel is just going to be like ldl hdl bldl triglycerides hdl um whereas this is getting into particle size which it's interesting because studies, some studies will show that this is really important. They'll say, oh, like, you know, there's like the, the small, uh, the smaller dense particles versus like the big fluffy particles for the LDL. And, um, it does seem to be like, I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years that is being used more. As of now, a lot of insurances do not cover it because they say that it's, it's not as valid. Um, and it's, it's not where we have a lot of the data. So I don't think it's a bad idea. I just, in my experience, looking at my own and other people's blood work, it tends to correlate pretty like when there's a problem with LDL, I see a similar problem with LDL particle. And when I have seen people who have really good LDL numbers, like just standard LDLC, they seem to not have LDLP problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's not like I'm seeing people where it's like, like it's not necessarily adding a ton of information, at least from the blood work I've seen. It's not like I've seen people where it's like, wow, you had fantastic LDLC, so like total LDL cholesterol, but then the LDLP was like super high and we ran into this big issue. You know, I don't it does I don't know if it adds a ton of information, but you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily a problem to get. And the main thing with you is obviously you're looking at total high cholesterol, which comes from high LDLC. Um, it used to actually be that. 130 was the range that they would say was too high. Now they've changed that in recent years to saying 100. Some people like like a Peter Atia would say you should really crush LDLC down to even like below 70. Um, and, and I can understand the logic behind that. I mean, it's actually part of why I'm considering maybe like a low dose statin myself, just trying that out because mine is pretty much right around where yours is and actually this is very interesting so I'm, I'm sure there's no lipidologists listening to this podcast right now but if there were i would love to hear this theory because my ldl consistently was 120 to 140 for a long time and i was talking with uh, aaron straker about this a little bit and brian borstein i have this unexplained six months where 
it dropped to like 90 to 100. And that's a big drop. I mean, if there was a medication that, I mean, there are medications that do that, but like to, to consistently do that is very impressive. And I do not have an explanation. It happened to be, I don't know if you know Steve Hall from Revive Stronger, um, but I, I did, I trained with him for about six months. And it happened to be during that time, which would make me think, what well, is it possible the increased exercise? Because I was training probably twice as much volume in days per week with him. Is that possibly the reason? And the reason I don't think it is, is because it lines up so well, but not perfectly. The The drop actually started about a month before I started working with him. And it started to go back up about one or two months after stopping with him. So it, the timing isn't exact, but I have, honestly, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, that's a pretty massive drop of like 40 points that yes. now I'm just back to where I was. So it's more just an interesting point, but certainly if well, people want to theorize below uh, yeah because cholesterol generally is not going to you know drop like that out of the blue mine if i'm not taking a statin or a zetamibe, it's always in this 130 140 range always it's like clockwork and that's yeah. just a genetic thing so that's kind of crazy that it would just fall off like that yeah it's it's honestly the weirdest thing i, I do not know how to explain it and i mean i've had varying cholesterol levels over the years and actually one one uh podcast i remember being a little I don't know, not annoyed, but it was more just an incorrect thing where they were saying, yeah, well, diet can only change uh, cholesterol by about 10%. And that's really not true on the extreme ends, meaning like if you go like purely vegan or you go on carnivore for sure, I mean, my cholesterol went up to over 400 on a carnivore diet and my LDL was over 300. I, this was for one month of carnivore just to try it. And uh, it was crazy, but we're talking like the extremes. I would say that within normal levels of dietary changes you're not going to change your cholesterol too too much there is definitely a huge genetic component to it well that's what that's interesting because every time i've tinkered with my diet as far as cutting out red meat you know cutting out eggs and stuff there has been little literally no difference mm -hmm. um, at least for me in my experiences my anecdotal experiences the changes from dietary have been literally negligible nothing yeah. um which is crazy. It's always just in this range. That's where it's at. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, but overall, I mean, just look at this. I know we're going to get to your LP little a later, but, but that is something that anybody listening, I think a lipid panel is one of the most basic things that somebody should do. I mean, really a CMP, a CBC and a lipid panel, I think everybody should have done at least once. Um, so going down here, I mean, I don't, I don't really see anything with your insulin that would be concerning. Do you mean the, the in fasted insulin? Mm -hmm. or this part of the insulin resistance because that, that was part of the nmr which i do an nmr about twice a year every six months i don't do it on every panel because I, I like you said i don't think it's necessary but it's one of those things i like to check every once in a while and this was just an extension of it yeah um, now it's actually interesting when i would run cycles you know my my ldl would get upwards of around like 200 really? but, so anabolic steroids definitely crush your hdl and jack up the ldl considerably which trend will do it especially you yeah. get up to it i've seen guys um get you know 100 points higher with on trend with their ldl and hdl get down at you know 10 you get really low ratings so it's so amusing to me to see guys who are on gear and everything's a justification you know like uh i remember well, i just won't say his name but there was a pretty well-known at the time coach and he was, he was like, Oh man, you know, my, 
hemoglobin is great now it's it's like 17 to 18 and it's like dude because he was at 20 before right so he's oh like my yeah gosh. That fantastic i'm like dude that's still not great like you're still, yeah like you're still upper level of normal or even above like just because you're in range now doesn't mean you're great you see this a lot with um liver enzymes as well where they say oh well the liver enzymes are just high because i train really hard and it's like <laughs> i've seen so much blood work of naturals and so much blood work of enhanced guys. And almost none of the naturals have really elevated liver enzymes. You do see it. I'm not saying you never see it, but it's like, it's always, oh no, I just train so hard. And it's like, dude, come off for two years and then get it redone. And then tell me if your liver enzymes are still nearly as elevated. Now, liver, you know, it generally is not the biggest concern. That's not why most bodybuilders are dying, right? They're generally not dying because of liver issues. It happens, but I'm just saying, like, it's a lot of BS justification in my experience. Oh, I should note here. I was I was sick, completely sick when I had this done. So that's why you see the, the white blood cell high and the neutrophil, the lymphocyte ratio. Mm. Like, this was, like, in the midst of an of a illness. So typically, my inflammation marker with the neutrophil, the lymphocyte ratio wouldn't be that high. It's generally, like, under 2, you know, 1.5 usually, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's why that's a little skewed, but and yeah. the eosinophils are allergies. I have crazy allergies in East Tennessee all all year round. Right. Right. Um, and, and and to be clear, like again, like with creatinine and, and bun scores and whatnot. So those, I'm not trying to say there aren't differences. Even if you're natural, if you're like 220 and you're lifting a lot, you are often going to like just have all this muscle mass. You will see higher levels of certain things. So I'm not trying to say that it's all BS. I'm just saying in general. I do find that enhanced guys justify a lot. Same thing with like the HDL. It's like, wow, now my HDL is now up to 40. And it's like, it was up to 40 from like 20 <laughs> before. Yeah. Like it's still, you know, not, not great. So, but here your liver enzymes are totally normal, even though you were sick. And I assume training yep. hard still. So, so it's, and, and how is your training these days? I mean, I know you're still like, I'm sure obviously not lifting anywhere near as heavy, but you're still pretty damn strong. Yeah, it's come up a lot, and that's like part of that is the, the increase in body weight, getting back up to around two thirty five. Um, so I'm training four days a week right now. Mm -hmm. I have one squat day, one deadlift day, two bench days. Okay. So the recovery time frame is a bit longer. Like I take about a week before between a heavy deadlift day, between a heavy squat day, mm -hmm. and so on. But strength is coming back really strong now. Um, obviously, no one more down to when you first went off everything and then what are you at now well i remember when i was around my deadlift got down to about 560 ish because i couldn't I, I would do like one set and i couldn't recover so there was a period of like four months maybe even upwards of six when i first came off where everything steadily declined like it just kept going down like you would think okay it can't go any get any worse and then it'll go down more and Really, there wasn't much progress made at all for the first year. And then I want to say about a year and a half in is when I started feeling like I could put a little more strength back on. And then the last six months have been a lot more significant as far as strength gains, even though the testosterone levels haven't really moved much. Mm. But I've gained the body weight. Um, you know, I, I pulled 705, but it was hitched, which was kind of, I mean, it's still cool to get back to that. Um Bench got up to 386. And it was down to what? What's that? What did your bench drop down to? The lowest it got was 315. Okay. 
from my peak was 485, 463. And like right before I went off, it was around 450 and it dropped down to 315. And then I've rebounded it back up to like 386. But it's really slow to progress now. Like for me to add five pounds to my bench now, it's a it's a grind. I mean, it, it can take. I mean, if you really want to put it into perspective, a year ago I did a meet, I hit 380 in the meet. And then I did a meet in December and I hit 375. I probably could have hit 386. I kind of I I played it a little too low, but that's five pounds. Um deadlift is where the gains were much more significant. But I'm starting to find my groove again with that. And I've started squatting again for the first time in a year. And so it's just a slower rate. How old were you when you went on gear? Twenty. Twenty. Do you remember what your big three lifts were at the time? Yeah, I uh squat was five seventy. That was high bar without knee sleeves. Wow. Um, because I didn't even know what low bar was or knee sleeves or anything. Yeah. Bench was three fifteen and then uh deadlift was seven hundred on calibrated plates. So it was wow. higher on bumper plates, but I go off the calibrated plates. Wow. So your bench after you came off of gear dropped all the way down to your natural twenty year old self strength, but has now yes. gone up pretty substantially. But your deadlift actually dropped well below your 20-year-old natural self and is only now back to your 20-year-old natural self's strength. I think deadlift now is a bit, it, it's starting to really get, I'm getting the groove back. So I think it's it's 20 pounds potentially higher now, but it took a massive hit. That was so depressing for me because that's kind of sure. what I was known for. Yeah. So it really messed with my brain. Like, What was your best uh, deadlift ever? Well, in competition, 871. Um, 882, I, I did in competition, had locked it out, dropped it. And then in training, it was like 920 on plates that may or may not have been very accurate. Holy crap. That's insane, man. Wow. Yeah. And I think like the whole thing is I have to, I just take a bunch of steps backwards and I think it'll somewhat, you know, it'll come back and maybe not to that level, but it's very slow. Yeah. And there was a lot of backtracking that was really hard to deal with. Well, and th so this just ties into the point I've, you know, made and many other people have made. It's just, it, it's so tough because psych psych like, if you look at it psychologically, we often compare to our baselines, right? And most people, like you might think, well, I'd rather have, you know, $10 million in the bank tomorrow. Well, it's like maybe, but psychologically, you're probably going to be a lot healthier if it was like, well, I gained, I earned $1 million. And then I earned 1.2 million the next year. And then I earned 1.3 million because you're progressing over time, right? Even if somehow I mean, the math wouldn't work out in that exact example, but if it ended up being the same after 10 years, because you get that 10 million in the bank and then you're like, well, now what do I do? And I'm kind of just depressed and I don't have like meaning and everything. And and I've said this before, if somebody told me, it sounds, it sounds odd, but if you said you can gain 20 pounds of muscle right now, or I could gain four pounds of muscle per year over the next five years, I would actually take the second because it's like, well, now I just gave myself five years of progression. And over time, every time I go to the gym, I'm, I'm seeing that. So it it's much more balanced. And over that five years, it's going to be a much better trajectory and psychological enjoyment uh, versus, you know, you gain the 20 pounds of muscle immediately. And then I spend the next, you know, 4.8 years just like, well, I mean, I got used to it after a few months and now that's just my norm. And I bring that up because if you look at it, what are the chances that you were truly maxed out at 20 years old? Probably zero, right? I mean, there's almost no chance that you were maxed out. And this isn't obviously to, to hate on you or anything, but just to say that if you had stayed natural, I think it's totally plausible that you'd be stronger than you are now, having gotten way up 
to these crazy levels on gear. Yeah, it's it's one of those things you were, you know, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say I regret, but uh, I definitely was. Uh, it was somewhat like peer pressure and mm-hmm. just not having the patience at the time, being younger. So I, I would have done it differently if I could do it again. I would have waited a lot longer if I chose to make that decision, knowing what I know now. But yeah. uh, can't go back, you know. Sure, sure. No, I mean, I think you're you're doing it very well. You're getting your health in order, and and like hopefully you know, you you don't see any long-term consequences. Like hopefully 50-year-old Pete Rubish is just as healthy as he would have been if he wasn't on stuff. I mean, there could be maybe some lingering effects, but hopefully not anything too dramatic, you know? Well, I think it's pulling the, the ripcord in time. Like you need to do it. Like if I just kept pushing and been like, oh, I'm good, I'll keep going into my 30s. You know, I think I just was like, I need to make this decision now. Mm-hmm. rather than just making things worse and pushing to where there is not, you know, the possibility of bouncing back as far as your health. Yeah. So I saw too, I've seen too many people pass away and it's like, you gotta, you gotta pull the plug at some point. You gotta say, this is, this is too much. Yeah. It's, it's and of course the, te- the temptation is very obvious of why it would be there. It's just one of those things where with the current science and, and drugs slash medications that are available today, there's not an option where you just keep, going forever right like eventually there's going to be this drop and you just have to decide when that drop is i think and, and i'm not saying you should do this but i think it would be just from an intellectual curiosity standpoint very interesting to see what would happen if you went on let's say 150 milligrams of trt oh, again man. i'm not recommending it but i'm just saying like how much like if you look at we'll get to your testosterone in a bit here but you think okay you're going to go from whatever it was 300 to upper normal probably a little bit above normal and all that muscle memory kicked in at that point that's when i see people maintain a lot when i see people who go off completely they almost always shrink a lot but when i see guys who are on for years and years and then go to trt i mean some of these guys maintain 50 pounds more than their natural self it's kind of amazing and i you know i have that thought in the back of my head is that card i could play down the road but i think i would absolutely you know, blow up strength wise on TRT. Yeah. Even at like a hundred megs a week or 125. Cause I, I always remember I responded very, very well whenever I would go off, you know, or whenever I would go down to a low dose of testosterone, my testosterone levels would still be very, very high. So there was that correlation between a little bit of test would make my levels go really high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what the, on this one, the albumin thing, it's always like that. I have no idea why my albumin to globulin ratio is always off. Yeah, but every single time it's like this, and I don't know what that means. But that's yeah. the one thing I haven't been able to crack. At this level, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, you know, testosterone will bind to sex hormone binding globulin, but it also binds to albumin, so um, it's a it's a less lower affinity. But your free testosterone, let me love to go back to that. But just an interesting thing to know because a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people just think it's just the sex hormone binding globulin. Um, so we touched on your cholesterol thyroid is fine. That's the lowest TSH I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. I was wondering, you never take a thyroid hormone? No. So I didn't experiment for a year. I did a high dose iodine for a year and mm. my TSH went all the way up to uh, 9.5 on the iodine, oh. which I, I consulted with a thyroid specialist during this in Texas and who's into like, you know, more homeopathic remedies than like T4. And he said, that's perfectly normal. 
it was seven and a half milligrams of iodine, seven and a half milligrams of potassium iodide. Did it for a year, every day. TSH got up to 9.5, whereas my baseline was always like 3.5 to 4, 4.5. And now this is about probably six months off the iodine and my TSH is the lowest it's ever been. So that's kind of an interesting note. Yeah. I've never had two. And your, your iron, you know, my iron is actually very low. I started, I, I don't recommend most people take iron. It's not something that you really want high, but mine was below normal for the longest time. So I'm, I'm on like a very low dose iron. I was taking just a hundred percent of the recommended, which is 18 milligrams per day, dropped it down to four times per week. It's still higher than I like. So now I'm going to drop it to like two or three times per week. Uh, generally most things you want in range. I mean, the ranges are somewhat arbitrary because they're obviously just looking at entire population and seeing what most people have. But um, generally even things like, like, you know, testosterone, we say good, you still don't want it over the range all the time, right? Maybe a lot of iron is bad. You still don't want it below, right? Same thing with like hemoglobin hematocrit. It's like, yeah, you don't want those to be high, but you don't want to be anemic either, right? No. Um, now your LH and FSH, are you taking anything like a CIRM? <laughs> no. I haven't touched a CIRM since November of uh, 20, 2020, I guess it was. So that's what's crazy. I kind of talked to Leo even about this. I was like, he said like he thinks it's testicular damage to where um, the signaling is obviously there my body's like produced the testosterone but the conversion isn't so he wasn't he didn't sound too enthused about the idea of like the testosterone ever coming back very high because this is on and this is bigger steve asked me the same thing he's like are you taking something are you taking exogenous fsh or i'm like no i'm not touching anything i'm not on tonkata leaf fidoja grest is nothing I literally take vitamin D, B complex, and vitamin K two, and this was just like, what the heck, you know? And Are then you, you look at the last panel, yeah, from September. I, so I don't know what's going on. Are you? Have you had a semen analysis? No. Okay. Did Did you guys have a kid? Yeah, it took seven months after I came off. That was it. Okay, and so she's like ten months now. Oh wow! Per- okay. Perfectly healthy too. Like there was, yeah. she's perfectly healthy. Nothing wrong. Ten months old, and we uh, we pulled it off seven months from great, November man. when I came off. Seven months from the time you came off, or you were just mm-hmm. trying for seven months. Okay, so seven months. Seven months from the time I came off. So, okay, yeah, that's great, man. So testosterone, yeah. So your this is wait, is this LabCorp or Quest? This is LabCorp. LabCorp. Okay, so. So the LabCorp measures free testosterone with a direct method, which is not actually that useful. Um, so I, unfortunately, you can't really take the free testosterone. I mean, it, these numbers are proportional to your total testosterone. Um, but I've spoken with a couple of endocrinologists who have mentioned that the free testosterone on LabCorp, you, you really can't take at face value. So okay. Um, but your total, yeah, I mean, and, and most people, I mean, if there's not something, you know, like they're not obese or there's something else going on, there's, they're generally proportional. Now, when somebody is on TRT, you can often see, I mean, this was a video I put up on Mark Lobliner, who, who was saying how his free testosterone was so high relative to his total. And there was a lot of logical errors there, but, um, in his case, being on TRT, that will tend to lead to proportionally higher free testosterone, but just in somebody who's natural, they're generally going to be pretty proportional. And uh, for you, I mean, it's tough because it's like if, if your levels were higher, I'm sure you probably would see an effect, right? Not like a, 
you know, deer-like effect. But if your levels were 800, there probably would be a difference. But, I mean, you're 235. You're, what, 5'9", five, 5'10"? Five, uh, six feet. Oh, really? Okay. Everybody in the industry is just, like, shorter on average. Yeah, so, yeah, um, so, okay, so six feet. But still, 235. I mean, that's a big guy. So, obviously, it would be nice if it was higher. How, if you don't mind me asking, how's, like, sex drive and energy and all that? It's good. It's been... Uh... It took about a year and a half for sex drive to return to normal. It was awful for like, wow. a year. like literally a year and a half. I had no sex drive. It was nothing. Wow. Non-existent. I couldn't, it was, it was impossible. I couldn't even like, I mean, I could, but it just, there was no. Yeah. It's probably one of the reasons I would imagine you might be hesitant to do something like TRT because I mean, one, I don't know if you want to have more kids in the future, but two, it's like, it'd be one thing if you just came off and then that was it. But if it's like, Hey, if I come off, you know, you got to go through another year and a half of just this drudgery. It just probably makes it (laughs) highly unappealing. Yeah. No one really wants to do it. I I can't even think of like people who have come off completely because it's just, I don't think it's appealing when you could just do TRT (laughs) and maintain a lot of your gains. So it's like, you know, yeah. I mean, unless you're going to have, I, the two reasons I would say is one, if, if you plan on having more kids, I mean, you can have kids on TRT. Plenty of people have kids on full on blasting. Right. But, it, you know, I think it's probably more predictable. Secondly, you, you don't necessarily know what sort of epigenetic changes are happening to the semen there. So we assume same thing. My concern with like finasteride, right. People use finasteride for hair loss. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's probably fine. And almost everybody I know who's on it, it they're fine, but you are dramatically dropping DHT there are some studies showing, you know, depression from it and some issues with GABA and you don't necessarily know how that's going to affect semen parameters. So like, there's just things we don't know, you know, everybody wants to believe it's like, well, we just know everything in medicine. It's like, there's so much you don't know. So, um, you know, is it possible that testosterone or something affected the semen quality? I'm not saying it did. I'm just saying you don't know. And and so that's one of the concerns with being on TRT and whatnot long-term, but then also we don't have studies on people who are on TRT for 50 years. So I would guess if you're keeping your testosterone in normal levels, like, you know, if you're naturally at 271 now and you were to use TRT to actually be at just upper normal levels, you're probably fine. No, probably I would think, but you can't say that for sure. Estradiol hasn't bounced back very high either. 15.7 on the last one. That was the highest I've gotten it since I've come off. So obviously yeah, there's is... some signaling nowhere though, like estradiol is in correlation with the testosterone levels. Yep. But... Yeah. So, so your estradiol, I, I mean, you know, there's some people who think, oh, well, you know, if you're on, if you're coming off stuff, you got to like take an AI and a serum and it's like, well, you know, the estrogen comes from a conversion from testosterone, right? With the aromatase. So if your testosterone is very low, you're rarely going to see somebody who has very low testosterone and then super high estrogen. I mean, it can happen. But, you know, so these are proportional. This is what I would expect. Um, so let's go to, so we'll jump back. One to more the interesting of- thing, too. When I was on, like, trend, my estradiol mm-hmm. would get up to, the. I think it hit 183. Wow. And I felt amazing. I felt great. Really? I never took AIs. I didn't really. And I felt, um, like, libido, everything was amazing with a 183 estradiol. Wow. So. Yeah, I've seen some people speculate that trend 
can be picked up as estrogen on blood work, which I have no idea how that would happen. I've just seen people speculate that. I, I don't know if that's actually true. Um, so makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we'll jump back to lipoprotein A in a second, but uh, C-reactive protein is great. This is actually something that I think more people should test. So I mentioned before that I feel like everybody should do lipid panel, CBC, CMP. Uh, they're very standard, so there's no real reason not to do it, and they're usually covered by insurance. But C-reactive protein is one that has a strong correlation with cardiovascular outcomes and mortality, and it's just not standard, and I don't know why. Uh, 0.7 is fantastic. It looks like before you had, you know, not high levels, but 2.4. I mean, that's certainly elevated. Um, that was... Yeah, that was the period where I was like sick all the time. It was, there was a stretch from uh, August 2021 mm -hmm. until about March of uh, 2022, I believe, where I was getting sick constantly. I got COVID back then in February. It just it was really strange. Yeah, I mean, CRP, D-dimer, um, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, all of these can be increased during periods of sickness and just general inflammation, obviously. So, um so if you are sick, it's not a great time to test it. But yeah, 0.7 is great. It really, I mean, it actually does, now that I'm looking at it, it does say it on here. Even though it says the reference range is 0 to 3, you really want it less than 1. And average could be like, well, I don't say average. Commonly, for people who are like young and healthy, it could be even less than 0.5. So uh, Dave, 0 .7. Now, I've seen guys with C-reactive proteins of 10, 15. Mm -hmm. What's going on with that? Well, so it depends. I mean, there's a couple of issues. One let's say somebody had like a crazy workout and they were in a generally inflamed state and they were over, excuse me, they were overweight. Um, you know, there are inflammatory molecules that are also being produced by adipocytes. So like fat cells. So guys who are heavier. So if you, I could imagine somebody who is like 250 bulking up general state of inflammation, had a crazy workout, they could have a higher level of CRP, um, autoimmune issues. I mean, some people with autoimmune issues, their CRPs could be 50 plus. I mean, you can have extremely high levels of CRP. So um, that's another thing. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, but definitely, I mean, if it's chronically like that, yeah, that's that's a huge problem. Oh. So I think that's the end, and we'll black out the uh, address there. Yeah, so this is just kind of more details on the NMR. NMR. Yeah. Like so, yeah, yeah. So, so if it helps you little a um so this is an interesting one because this is one that most people really only just have to test once because most people you either have elevated i forget what the percentage is i think it's like one in ten people something like that yep. um have an elevated lp little a which has a strong correlation with cardiovascular issues right and mortality so if you can get your uh ldl sufficiently low it more or less negates the problem with LP little a to the fact, to the point that you don't necessarily need to worry about. It. I mean, worrying about it is not going to do anything, but can you, can you do anything about it? From what I've seen, PCSK9 inhibitors do actually lower LP little a statins do not. Um, I think actually statins, some statins can actually increase LP little a if I'm remembering correctly, yes. uh, but the amount that they lower LDL still results in a significant net benefit to one's cardiovascular um, mortality rate and whatnot. So, so that's definitely not to say anything is bad with the statins in that regard. But I believe the PCSK9 inhibitors are actually lowering both the LDL dramatically and the LP little a. Um, but it's very interesting that you said you and your wife both 
have it. So, I mean, you're looking at like a one in a hundred chance there of two partners having it. Yeah, it's I've researched it a lot. And, you know, for me, when I was on a statin, it didn't have any effect on it, it didn't raise it or anything. Hmm. Um, but I've also dabbled in many different things and nothing has lowered it at all. So it's it's one of those things where they say like exercise doesn't lower it, diet doesn't lower it. They don't have a lot as far as medications. The only one is the, the PCSK9 inhibitors. Which you which remind me you have taken or have not taken? I have not taken, but no. even with those, I think the research is like 20%, 30 maybe. Yeah. So that'd still be a very high number. It's it's Sure. There's not a lot of answers right now because this is, I think, a newer thing that they've started looking into. Um, yeah. My thought would be maybe in a couple of years, because I had this done when I was 27, I believe, or 28. Um, my thought would be I could do another CAC score when I was 35, when I'm 35. Mm. And I could see if there's a, a lot of plaque accumulation. And maybe if there is, it would offer more insight into this. Have you had a CT angiogram done? No. Okay. Just so, the, just the CAC score. Yeah, I'd consider that. I mean, again, I don't know how your insurance is, but I I would consider that because the CAC score. I mean, you're looking at not not that they're not useful, but I'm just saying by the time they they're reading anything, you know, it, it's delayed. It's a little late, and then also, I believe the number is fifteen percent. There's a 15% false negative with CAC scores, yeah. meaning that 15% of people who would get a reading of zero would actually have some buildup there. So, uh, not again, not that it's not a useful test, but it's, it's not completely reliable. What would be more, um, have more merit, like a CT angiogram or um, space it out on what it is right now? Non fMRI, but uh, echocardiogram. Well, an echocardiogram is going to test different things. Chambers. So, yeah, I mean, other things too. But have you had an echocardiogram? No. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in your case, I would definitely get an echocardiogram. Um, Steve and I had an episode less than a year ago where I reviewed his echocardiogram on the podcast. So if you want to check that out, that's that's a pretty interesting one, I think. But... I would definitely get an echo. Um, and I'm, and to people listening, I'm not saying I think everybody should get an echo. I think if you're 50 plus, you probably should. I would always want to get an echo just because I'm, I'm a curious person again. But like, I don't think most people just need like go out and get an echocardiogram. But in your case, Pete, I would definitely get an echocardiogram. Because of my history? Yes. And then obviously these factors. Yeah, I mean, less so because of your lipids, just really the history. Now... You know what's interesting? I should make one interesting note. So I had this ins this thing where I was um, basically peeing blood for like two years. Okay. Off and on, it was about, it'd be like once a week for two years. Okay, so I let this go. Don't do this, guys. I let this go for like six months. And then I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. I need to go get this checked out, right? Because I'm talking like red. Like it's bad, you know? It's not like you're just like, oh, it's a little dark, you know? Talking to like you're peeing red. Um, so I'm thinking I'm dying of some kind of cancer, like bladder cancer or, you know, any any colon cancer or something like that. But they did a CT scan scan of the uh, the whole GI tract. Yeah. And they're like, everything is perfect. The organs are perfect. They're all the normal size. There's no enlargement, which was really interesting. 
lungs, kidneys, everything was normal. Um, pancreas, everything. Everything was a normal size. There was no enlargement, no cancer or anything. It was just a, a couple two-millimeter kidney stones, like three of them. So oh, and there was okay. one in the, the, the prostate, and that was causing the problem. Gotcha. So no that was interesting, though, that the organs were, were a, you know, they were normal size, which almost made me speculate. I'm like, you know, I definitely abused PEDs. I wonder if a lot of the organ enlargement and stuff is from the GH, because I never touched GH or insulin. But your organs, like, they went through your GI tract, right? But yeah. They didn't, yeah, okay. Do you know, I mean, I would imagine they didn't do any scan of the heart, though. or No, they didn't go up that high. It was just the lung bases. Because they can't get it all in that. They're not looking at that part. But they got the lung bases and the, the kidneys and such. And they were all checked out pretty well, which was encouraging. Did they scan your liver? Did they include that? I don't think they did liver. I just, I'd have to look at the what it actually said, but I could send it to you. Um, uh -huh. But it was uh -huh. kind of cool that it was like everything looked normal. Yeah. I was like, okay. And they made me wonder. I'm like. Is a lot of the or because you'll hear the autopsies of bodybuilders where they're like, okay, their liver is three times heavier and bigger than it should be, and right. the lungs and all that. And I'm like, I wonder if it's the GH and the IGF one and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the insulin and there's so much going on there, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting. And you've never had, I see, you, you know, you had and your CMP, they they look at a marular filtration rate, but you've not had like a cystatin C. Yeah, I did. It was uh. The the GFR off that one was one twenty one. Oh, hmm. so okay. that was interesting. That was that was a year ago though. I I should get it checked about once a year, but the cystatin C was way better than the uh, creatinine based GFR. Okay, cool. So that was encouraging too. Yeah. All right. Well, that's everything there. So let me stop the screen share. Yeah. So I mean, I think it, it's interesting to see after somebody was on for so long and kind of where things are and. I think we just there's still a, so much that we just don't know and this is one of the problems that you had i'm, I'm actually glad to see this now because if you look back at the forums 10 plus years ago it was always like blood work blood work blood work and most of the guys on here wouldn't get blood work but even the guys who did they would have this false sense of reassurance of their health of say oh wow look at this this is all fine i, mean, I knew a guy who had a heart attack and he he was just like oh my blood works great and it's like yeah your blood works great but you're like he i think he did a stress test or no he was what did he do I don't remember. He had a heart attack. I'm forgetting the order. Um, he might have had a stress test that was turned out very poorly, or he was just kind of jogging and, and had a heart attack. But if you don't scan the organs, you don't know. And then even then, like I said, we can. There can still be things that in 2023 we just don't have yet. So um, you know, again, you can't predict everything. But I, I just let me. I don't know if my. I was going to pull up if my computer would work. Mm -hmm. I could pull up a, a blood work of when I was on like trend. That's fun, but <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't think I, the, the mouse is going to work right now. But that would just by comparison, you could you could really see some interesting stuff as far as what happens. Yeah. Um, when you're on cycle, but I don't think it's going to work. No worries. Yeah. I mean, you can send it to me later. Maybe I just put like a screenshot in there. But but yeah, man. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you've had overall such a good recovery. It'll be interesting to see if the testosterone bounces back. I'd have to agree, though. I don't think if it's been two, well, over two years now, and it's been fairly stable. That's kind of probably where you are. But you, you probably never had testosterone checked before you went on anything, right? Like when you were 20. I think there were a couple occasions because this was actually kind of funny. Um, when I was like a teenager, I was lifting pretty seriously. So my doctor was always like asking me if I was on steroids and I'll get really annoyed. Mm. But 
like he was just like a general family doctor he's like are you taking steroids and i'm like i'm just lifting like yeah. i was in high school you know so he he had checked a couple times um i don't remember i really can't remember what it was i had it checked once for a drug tested meat i think two of them um how accurate that is i don't know yeah but yeah i don't know it's kind of interesting but I don't, yeah, it I mean, was never crazy because i'll see guys and I don't know how I feel about this, but I've seen guys claim lifetime natty. Mm -hmm. Testosterone levels nine hundred. Yeah, I mean it happens. Uh, I think Lane Norton is one of those guys because I mean that is still within the range. I mean there's somewhere out there there's a natural with levels of a thousand. Actually, I think uh, Lane has even had levels above normal. Now again, I don't know if Lane Norton's natural or not. I, I he's looked about the same for many years, so I would assume he is, but I have no idea. Um, but you have to consider if there are naturals out there who are hypogonadal, right? Quote unquote, naturally, there's going to be guys who are above the reference range as well. And that's just one of several factors into their muscle mass. I mean, there's a lot of other factors outside of there are huge naturals out there whose testosterone is like 400, you know? Um, so I, I wouldn't say just because somebody has a high testosterone level, they're definitely not, obviously the higher it gets, the more you maybe suspect things, but um, I, I wouldn't say somebody is clearly lying just because they're at the upper normal levels. It's interesting too, because I've seen guys take 25 milligrams, I believe of clomiphene every other day and hit test levels of 1260. Sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's so even stuff like that can really jack up the testosterone levels. I've seen many people on HCG with um, testosterone levels outside of the, the reference range of 1500 because they weren't doing the LC MS, you know, scale. They did the, the normal one and, uh, it'd be 1500 plus on just HCG, which it's, it's pretty crazy that even that kind of stuff can do that. Sure. Now, yeah. I mean, that... estrogen is really, I mean, DHT too, but estrogen and the negative feedback loop is a big reason why your, your body will then produce at the pituitary more LH and FSH. And so if you're blood, you got a serum like Clomid, is blocking the estrogen at the pituitary. And so your body or your brain is basically picking up, hey, there's no production, even though in the blood levels, they might be high, it's being blocked. And so there's that negative okay. feedback loop. And then they're like, oh, we got to produce more. And then that's, that's why you get those high levels. Yeah. And even, well, I tried Tonkatali and Fidelgegrestis about a year ago, and it got my levels up to 409. Okay. Oh. Nothing crazy, but like I was, I was kind of hoping I'd be one of those people who got like the three, four hundred point boost, but mm. just didn't work out that way. So I, mean, I have a buddy from college who's like always trying these random supplements. And I'm like, man, like you might as well just go on gear because you clearly just want to, you want to take something that's going to just, just go on it at this point. <laughs> but, um, but I don't know too much about that one. Well, that's how I was for the first year. Or so when I came off, I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to take all these supplements and see what they do. And, you know, rotating through different things to see what it would do. And now if you narrowed it down to like D3, K2, mm -hmm. K2 and K1, and then uh, B complex. Yeah. I'm not I do creatine every once in a while. Yeah. I'm not, I'm definitely not against supplements. I take plenty of supplements, but uh, they're mostly for health. You know, um, the only thing I really take for, I guess you could say for quote unquote bodybuilding um, would be creatine. And I literally, I think I'm a non-responder to creatine. I just really, I've never ever noticed and when I stop it or start it, I don't notice anything in which you could say, well, then why do you take it? And it's like, well, it doesn't seem to cause me any negative issues. There's so many studies on the benefits of it. There's studies you may be potentially showing health benefits to it. So yeah. I'm like, 
maybe it's doing something. It's so cheap. You know, it costs me like 50 bucks a year or something like that. So I'm like, why not? I just take enough to, you know, they, they seem to show that even three to four grams per day is plenty to be saturated. So I'm like, all right, I just take a bit per day um, just because it's so cheap. And then most of the other ones I take are health related. I mean, creatine, I, I noticed a significant increase in like bench strength in particular. My bench gets, you know, it feels notably stronger. Hmm. Um, but the only thing I can compare that to, which is going to sound hilarious because, you know, Anadrol. When I would really? take Anadrol, nothing, nothing. Like everyone's like Anadrol is the greatest powerlifting drug. Um, Larry Wheels, a lot of guys have said that's their favorite. I could take it no matter what the dose, I'd get zero out of it. Just nothing, no strength. Wow. Nothing. It was it was really, you know, almost irritating, but that was something that for whatever reason my body didn't process. Whereas like I would take Anavar and have incredible results. So And these were from I mean, obviously these aren't being prescribed to you. So I guess it was good sources. I've tried like Anadrol probably. I tried it I'd say almost ten times. Oh, and wow. every single time nothing. Um, like the last few years when I was taking stuff, I had that essentially a sponsorship with a really good quality gear and the Anavar, everything was amazing. The trend, all that kind of stuff, but Anadrol, nothing. D-ball worked. Um, yeah, you know, each one had their own host of sides. So it was, uh, I just remember like, I still almost have a. What do you call it? I like have a really good opinion of Anavar. Really? <laughs> it just was so great. You'd get incredible strength gains, incredible. And the the side effects were as far as what you could feel, obviously on paper, lipids will t- still take a hit. But even the liver enzymes were barely touched by Anavar and like the strength was insane. Yeah. So that one I have like a really good opinion of still where I'm like, man, that was good stuff. <laughs> but not that I'm gonna do it again, but it just was like that was there was there was nothing like it in terms of the the no side effects that you could feel, and then these incredible strength gains. You got those at fifty milligrams a day. Sure. <laughs> so so all right, man. Well, uh, shoot. I mean, that was I thought that was pretty good coverage of the blood work there. Anything else that you want to address before we sign off? No, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, how's your training been going, really? Honestly, man, it, I'm just at a point where it's just kind of the same. My main thing is I want to get a bigger home so I can get a home gym. I like that's like my main requirement is that my basement is going to be that I want a full basement and that I'm just going to have like decked out and have gym or whatever. But um, I have a home gym set up here, just like the basics. But I just am more and more annoyed with the gym environment, like where yes. I go. I'm considering switching gyms, but it's just there's not a lot of great options. And then. Uh, it's mostly just maintenance at this point. Like I always say, like, I'm still trying. Like anytime I go in, I am trying to progress. Um, I'll try higher volume phases. I'll try this or that. I worked with Steve Hall for that six months of coaching. But those are all mostly at this point. It's like, well, what can I do to kind of keep things fun? And and again, I'm always trying. It's not like I, but I am, um, what's the word? I am involuntarily at maintenance probably forever. <laughs> so that's what it is. I mean, I think everything changes once you're in your 30s as far as priorities, and it's not like you're obsessing over these things as much. There's more balance in life. What, well, as far as you, what are, what are your goals in life? Like, what are you trying to do? Well, and I, I always make this distinction because sometimes people will say that, and I'll say, well, let me be clear. It's not, I mean, 
I am not saying that I don't care as much anymore. And therefore I'm just backing off. I do still try. I, it's like, it's just that at some point, I mean, look, I've been lifting since I was 12 years old, right? So you're talking almost 20 years of lifting. Like you'll get like a random PR here and there, but I'm just saying like, I have no thoughts of, well, I, I have seven pounds of muscle left to gain. Like that's just not reality. Right. And so, um, now I will say with that though, comes an acceptance where in college it's like, dude, I need to, I gained seven pounds last year. I need to gain at least five or six or seven pounds this year, like of muscle. Whereas now it's, it's, you know, kind of going back to you with the gear early on. It's like, if you just had your mindset of today, maybe you would have done 200 milligrams of testosterone and then maybe 300 and maybe you could have extended that for a very long period of time. But of course that's not how 20 year olds tend to think. And so, um, it's much more just a part of my life now. But my main thing is just, I, I, you know, I like that I still have the podcast to keep me interested. I, I like that I have the lifting as a, like, I'll never stop. Obviously it's a, it's a massive part of who I am. Um, but now it's just kind of making sure like I'm set up in life for, you know, future family and work. And honestly, it's, it's funny if we want to get more into like the lifestyle talk, I, I feel like I just don't agree with the general idea of I'm going to work you know, 50 hours per week of something I don't want to do until I'm 60 years old. And then if I make it to be that old, I'll get some years of retirement. Like that just to me is not <laughs> very desirable. Um, I, I have a friend right now who he's about to be a physician's assistant and I'm like, Oh, are you excited to work? Like he's going to graduate soon. And he's like, Nope. <laughs> and I'm like, why not? He's like, well, I'm going to have 30 years of like waking up at five working the whole time lift have two hours to myself and then rinse and repeat. And I'm like, yeah, that, that does suck. Um, so I, I don't have an interest in doing that. So for me, it's more about like, okay, I I've already hit, you know, a level of income that I'm very happy with. And then it's like, can I, my goals are more instead of saying, well, now can I hit this higher income, this higher income and this higher income? It's more like, I'm very happy with where this is. So can I hit that same income, but cut a day per week? You know, can I hit okay. that same income or take an extra two weeks of vacation or be with family or something? You know, it's just there's a level where I, I don't think it really benefits your life as much. You know, I love that perspective. That's so fascinating because these thoughts I have these thoughts all the time. I'm like, at what point is the baseline income? Is there a point of diminishing return where your quality of life suffers so much that it's not worth it to make that extra money? And I think I've read like it's like 70,000 or 80,000, they say. That's just, I don't know how accurate that is, but they say, you know, if you above that, the the amount of happiness it brings you happiness, you know, yeah. um, is negligible. And I've always wondered, I'm like, you know, at what point if grinding away, like you look at all these people who are extremely wealthy and you're like, is it worth it if you don't have hardly any free time at all and you're stressed to the max? And it's kind of like you said, uh, society, culture sets us up this way where we're supposed to think like, okay, we're working to this age of, you know, it could be anywhere from 55 to 65. And then, you know, you hope you have some time left, you have good health, and you can make the most of it after that. But I almost feel like that model is being pushed away now. It's There's some pushback on it. And yeah. I don't see my generation... I think a lot of people will, will work forever, but they may not work as much, as many hours. Well, with the COVID stuff, right? Like so many more people are working from home now and that's that's 
for a lot of people actually been a benefit because they don't have to go into an office. They could be home with their family in between and whatnot. Um, a couple comments on, on some of those values. So it used to be said, and there, I, I don't know who wrote this, but it was like, oh, anything above, like you said, 70, 80,000 people aren't happier. That's really not true. Um, better and, and newer research does show that, that that happiness on average, and again, we're not talking like twice as happy, but on average, it does increase quite a bit beyond that, even like to like 200 plus thousand. Um, okay. But you also like, that's such a generic statement because, you know, if you're making, let's say $100,000 and you're a single guy in rural North Carolina, that's a lot of money. If you're making $100,000 and you have a family of five in like San Diego, you're basically homeless. Like, like, you yeah, just, that's nothing. Right. So it's super dependent on if you have family and if and where you live. I would just more say as a principle. And, and again, like this would be a very different conversation if, if I was making nothing. Like if I was just you know, I don't want to put a certain sure. value on it because, I, you know, obviously people are going to come from different backgrounds. But if I was making a very low income, I wouldn't be saying this. But I've been very ambitious my whole life. I still have three companies right now that I like. I have a lot going on, but I'm saying it's more like take X value. And instead of saying, if I'm working five days per week, which is arbitrarily just the standard is what would be better to your life working five days per week and next year hitting, let's say 1.2 times the value made this year, or continuing to make one times that value, but dropping to four days per week, because almost anybody would say, yes, of course, 1.2 times is better than the one time. 1.5 times is better than the one time. Like, I'm not trying to say more money is not a nice thing to have. I'm just saying for every individual and, and your family, you have to decide, is it better to continue working more or would I rather have the time with family? And frankly, if, you know, in that example, if you are in San Diego and you're making 80,000 and you have a family that supports you, you're really not, or sorry, that you support you're really not in a position to say, hey, you know what, I want to work three days per week, because you owe your family, you have that responsibility to take care of them. But I think if you're at a certain point that you're now pretty comfortable, maybe your family and your kids would appreciate more time with you rather than, you know, again, 10 or 20% higher income. So it's just a different way than I see a lot of people think about it. No, and I think that makes perfect sense. Because I look at it like, you know, the gym itself doesn't make money. It really doesn't gyms are not in a lot of cases, not I mean, not in all cases, because I do know highly successful gym owners who make a lot of money. But in a lot of cases, gyms are not a super profitable business model sure. because there's a very high overhead and then you need that many people to break even and so on. But I also think I'm like, I get to spend all this time around, like I'm literally around my wife and daughter 24 hours a day. Yeah. So there's that time that I'm with them that I wouldn't have if I was doing something else. So you could look at it like, you know, you know even if the profits from the gym itself are not great it allows me to be around them and that's a trade-off and that's one of those things that you like think about more and more as you get older in your 20s I, I think i was less inclined to think that way where it was you know there were certain motivations and that was that but as i see people pass away as the concept of death becomes more real um your own mortality gets closer in your mind and you're like i need to maximize this time so it's it's kind of one of those things you were talking about yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, everybody's value is is going to be different. But um, I, I noticed that as I have, you know, gone from hanging out with people who were maybe just like they graduated high school, but didn't go beyond that. And then it was okay, well, now I'm in college, and I'm hanging out with college grads. And then, you know, 
most people hang around are doctors and then most people hang around are business owners. And it's like the increased success is nice, but it's not like I see these people where like, wow, the people who own five practices are like just super happy all the time. And the people who, you know, maybe are just working a standard job are depressed. Like that's again, to a point, higher income does make life easier and does correlate with happiness, but that you got to decide what that is for you. Um, I guess one final funny thing to, to end on is I was looking back at uh, some documents and like goals I had. And the first time I had like recorded written down goals, I mean, I did it much earlier than this, but for life goals was about 2014. And so I was going to dental school and I was writing things down and it, I actually forgot how much this has changed because one of the goals at the time was uh, like place top three in a bodybuilding contest. Oh, wow. And then another one was own a gym. And um, it's just funny how things change because I have heard everybody I know who owns a gym has said it's so stressful that, like you said, it's not super profitable. We had a great gym here that closed because it was like it was a really nice gym, great location, but it just it wasn't profitable. So um, but it's just funny because I almost forgot that like when I like the podcast has kind of taken over for me. So it's more of an intellectual pursuit. But sometimes I forget almost that when I was early 20s, it was still a dream of like, I, I was going to be a bodybuilder. And I, and I kind of forgot that I wrote that down. Um, and then just a number of issues and, and not wanting to blast gear for years and, and uh, all these other things kind of led me to switch my path there. But it was funny coming across these things from eight years ago where I was like, wow, like that, that was who I was, you know, and it, it took a lot to kind of change that identity that I'm no longer going to try to be the biggest guy anymore or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's exactly because um, I've heard the thing where it's like we become a different person every seven years. Our personality changes, our interests, that sort of thing. And I think to some degree that's true because the things that I was very interested in are very, you know, took up all my time are very different than how things are now. My values, everything has changed. So I could see that shift taking place every seven years, which would kind of line up with what you said. Um and to tie into like the gym thing, it is, it's like, it's a lot of time with very little returns in terms of financially. So you have to be in it for the camaraderie and the, the community aspect of it. That's where your payoff's going to be more so than like financially. Cause it's a, it's a bad idea if you're trying to make, you know, make a lot of money profits off having a gym. Yeah. Yeah, and for sure. The one last thing that's interesting, I think like, I feel like the baby boomer generation was the last generation that really follows that model as far as you know put away a lot of money for retirement retire at 65 and so on because i look at you know the millennial generation our generation and you know gen z and i'm like i don't see how a lot of people are going to have any savings and be able to do that in the first place so it's going to be a much different concept i think in the, the years to come yeah yeah i look at some of my friends who are less well off or, or they don't really have lucrative careers and it's like, yeah, man, I don't know. Like everything is very expensive. Like the rent's super expensive, all these things. So um, it's tough. Like, I, I don't know what I would tell my future kids to go into, you know, it's, it's, it just changes pretty rapidly. So, so we'll see. Yeah. It's just interesting. It's a thought. I'm like, it's going to change a lot. Yeah. Yeah. With inflation right, and such. So always good catching up. I'm sure we'll be talking on Instagram and whatnot, but uh, send me, if you, if you come across that blood work while you're on trend, um, send it over and maybe I can post oh, yeah. it in or something. But otherwise, uh, we'll have this up in a couple weeks. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Yeah. Oh, and uh, where can people find you? 
just you know youtube search my name or instagram <laughs> just search pete rubish you'll find me it's cool i'll have links down below too all right buddy appreciate you all right